Good morning. It's a pleasure to speak and commissioned. It's a pleasure to see so many familiar faces, faces we love, faces we pray for, faces we encourage. It's a privilege to serve as an elder here at Grace Community Church. I'd like to start by expressing appreciation to a few people. First, to my wife, Anne, who always provides excellent counsel and continually demonstrates the qualities of a Proverbs 31 woman. To my son, Michael, who did the keynote slides. I'll take the blame if any of them aren't right, but uh, without Mike, we wouldn't have any of this today. Uh, My son, Stephen, recommended a source this week, Irv Busenitz. Irv Busenitz is here somewhere, I think. And uh, he gave me a quick review. He suggested emphasis on a particular point. I'd also like to express appreciation to Dr. Richard Mayhew. Many of you will remember him from when he was at the seminary. Uh, Dick wrote a book titled Practicing Proverbs, Wise Living for Foolish Times. And our topic this morning uh, is responding to reproof in a wise and godly manner. And for reasons that will also become clear over time, I would like to express appreciation to my college pastor. I learned two lessons from him, something like 50 years ago, uh, living out the maxim, faithful men who can teach others. Uh, He entrusted that to me. I'm going to pass some of those on to you. He went to heaven approximately six years ago, and he had a tremendous impact in my life. Again, the topic for the morning is responding to reproof in a wise and godly manner. Rodney suggested this topic to me uh, approximately five, six weeks ago. Uh, Neither of us had any inkling of the extent to which this topic would become germane to Grace Community Church uh, to the extent that it has over the last few weeks. I don't think either of us fully appreciated what we were going to be dealing with, what we were going to be seeing. Now, connecting it to where you were last week, Brad, as he neared the end of his uh, sermon in Titus, uh, emphasized the importance of younger men taking the time to develop a lifestyle, taking the time to engage in reading that would help them to grow in wisdom and the ability to think clearly and rationally, in reverent seriousness, in healthy speech, and in pure doctrine. Uh, he actually cited Proverbs, particularly Proverbs 4, 20 through 23. That's what we're going to be focusing on this morning. The texts are before you on the screen, probably the most important text Like an earring of gold and an ornament of fine gold is a wise reprover to a listening ear. And we'll come back to this text in a few more minutes. Uh, We'll pull out a few things from it that I think you may find somewhat amusing. Proverbs 17.10, a rebuke goes deeper into one who has understanding than a hundred blows into a fool. Proverbs 6.23, for the commandment is a lamp and the teaching is light, and reproofs for discipline are the way of life. Proverbs 15.31-33, he whose ear listens to the life-giving reproof 
will dwell among the wise. He who neglects discipline discloses himself, but he who listens to reproof acquires understanding. The fear of the Lord is the instruction for wisdom, and before honor comes humility. A wise son accepts his father's discipline, but a scoffer will not listen to rebuke. Finally, a man who hardens his neck after much reproof will suddenly be broken beyond remedy. Rod, uh, Brad mentioned the importance of reading. In my own personal life over the years, while serving as an elder, I have found that my attention has been compelled repeatedly again and again and again uh, to the pastoral epistles. So in a way, I was not surprised when I came across a quote from the great Augustine, uh, and you have the citation before you on Christian Doctrine, book 4, chapter 16. Augustine writes, these three apostolic epistles ought to be constantly before the eyes of everyone who has obtained the position of a teacher in the church. Paul writes to Timothy in 3.15, but in case I am delayed, I write so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth. The first of the two lessons that I learned from my college pastor are before you. Scripture is our method book as well as our message book. We proclaim its contents as our message, and we live its commands, its directions, its calls for wisdom in our lives. It is our message book. It is our method book. As I near the end of this, we'll come back to an illustration of how we handle this kind of situation that Paul gives in 2 Timothy chapter 4. Very important. Again, Paul writes to Timothy, I write this so you will know how to conduct yourself within the church. It is our method book as well as our message book. The second lesson that my college pastor taught us, and it's one that uh, ties into what we're doing this morning, and that was to emphasize in your personal life getting to know the book of Proverbs. My college pastor emphasized the importance. Read the chapter of Proverbs corresponding to the day of the month. I've done that, uh, I've gotten a little careless in recent years, but I did it for decades, and I can tell you it has proven incredibly valuable. Uh, I love one of the uh, verses in Proverbs 19. To have zeal without knowledge is not good, or to be hasty and miss the way. Uh, One of you I'm looking at is an auto mechanic. You don't want someone tearing into your car without knowledge, but with a great deal of zeal. You want the man to know what he is doing and to take the time to do it rightly. Proverbs, today's the 19th. There are 31 days in the month. The point is clear. 19, 
tomorrow the 20th, you read chapter 20, so forth and so on and so on. I cannot overemphasize the incredible benefit that will come and the gratitude that I have uh, to my college pastor uh, for having passed that on to us. And uh, as a faithful man, let me pass that on to faithful men who will be able to teach others. What are we doing today? Uh, Our goal is to teach. Our goal is to train, to properly respond or react to the challenges of life, and particularly to respond to rebukes or reproof. If we are well-trained, if we are well-trained, we have to get to, we should get to the point where the right response is trained, instinctive, and reflexive. If you have had any experience in competitive athletics, if any of you have been involved in combat, if any of you have watched Top Gun Maverick, you'll know that there are times in life where you do not have the option of much deliberation. You have to be trained so well that the response is instinctive when you encounter a particular situation. Now, to understand this, to profit from this, you will need to have some basic underpinnings, some foundations for this to be meaningful in your life. First of all, there needs to be a deep, built-in trust, confidence in the attributes of our God. We trust his sovereignty Technology. We trust his omniscience. We trust his omnipotence and his omnipresence. He knows what's going on. He's aware. And even when some of the stuff he teaches us doesn't make sense, trust him to apply it. We need to have a deep ingrained sense of the reality and impact of the fall. If we do, we will have a basic, teachable humility. I don't know it all. I need to have the teaching of wisdom in this particular book. John Calvin wrote that when uh, the fall took place in Genesis 3, the basic understanding of God's law that's written on the mind and heart of man was reduced, and he uses this phrase, to a shapeless ruin. I need to have this input. Always maintain that teachable humility. And last, don't be a fool. You've heard the expression, sin makes you stupid. Nothing could be more true. Proverbs 12.1, whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is stupid. The distinguishing mark of a fool in the scripture is not that he is stupid, or that she has a mind that doesn't process things quickly, or that they don't know much. The distinguishing mark of a fool is that they lack a deep trust in the attributes of God. They're going to do it their own way. That is the key mark of a fool. Let me urge you, don't do anything stupid. Didas. Don't do anything stupid if you're taking notes. All right. 
uh, we need to be properly reactive. Now, our responsibility is when rebuked or given reproof. Let's take a look at uh, Proverbs 25.12. If there is a key text, uh, it is that. Like an earring of gold and an ornament of fine gold is a wise reprover to a listening ear. That word that's translated earring could just as easily be translated nose ring, uh, depending on what's acceptable in your culture and what's tolerable. That word is used, and this may give you a little bit of a counterpoint, uh, Proverbs 11.22, and this is a verse that every father of teenage boys needs to teach his sons, like a ring of gold in the nose of a pig is a beautiful woman without good sense, without discretion. Dads, teach your sons to hold out and look for a beautiful woman that has discretion. And I can tell you, my wife and my two daughters-in-law both demonstrate that such women do exist and God provides them. But that's what we're talking about in the word ring. There are two words for gold that are used. The fine gold that you see there uh, really connotes pure gold, 100% gold is a wise reprover to a listening ear. The word that's used for wisdom or for wise there implies that it is learned, implies that the man is trained, he is prudent. It also carries with it a certain element of shrewdness about him. He's capable, he knows how to make that information come across. Proverbs 15.1, a wise tongue makes knowledge acceptable. A wise tongue makes knowledge acceptable. The word for listening makes it very clear that we're not talking about one like some of us are when we were teenagers. We listen, the words come in, they go out, and there is no action. It carries with it the connotation of wise, responsive follow-up. Like a ring of gold... And an ornament of fine gold is a wise reprover to a listening ear. That text implies there are going to be three instructions, three questions, I should say, uh, that will be given. Three questions that we need to ask as we are processing this. First of all, is the content truthful? Is it accurate? Ephesians 4.15, we are to speak the truth, how? In love. But first, we are to speak the truth. Is it accurate? Is it correct? The second question, is it wisely or properly given? And you see above there uh, on the screen, Proverbs 15.1 that I just quoted. What is the evident motivation Is it in love? Or is there something else that is behind that? Now, the scripture makes it very clear that final judgment of the human heart, complete, total judgment of the human heart is reserved to God. Nonetheless, the scripture also tells us that what comes out of the mouth, the actions that are taken will demonstrate what is in the heart. 
uh, a synonym, a synonymous phrase for malice that's used in the legal world. An abandoned and malignant heart will be demonstrated by the conduct taken. Luke 6.45, we read that the words of the mouth that you use will demonstrate the condition of your heart. Over the long haul, uh, my son found a quote that I wasn't aware of, but it's uh, very apropos. Steve Lawson made the comment, what's down in the well will come up in the bucket. You put that bucket down in the well, and what's going to come up is what's in the well. The same thing is true. What comes out of the mouth, what comes out of the conduct, is true of the heart. Now, after we have done that evaluation, after we have thought through what's said to us, what do we do after that? We take appropriate action. Now, that appropriate action is going to, of course, depend on the nature of the advice that is given. We make changes where needed. We change as appropriate. This isn't too hard to comprehend. It's basic. There are times, if the admonition pertains to conduct that is a matter of sin, that we need to repent. We need to repent with a godly sorrow. You're familiar with the passage, 2 Corinthians 7, 8 through 13. Paul describes the marks of a godly sorrow. We don't need to go into that at this point. Uh, We'll defer that to another day. Let me make very clear, however, that our repentance, the changes we make, need to be done wisely. It is possible very possible, and some of you who have done biblical counseling will have seen this, uh, for people to come in and without thinking, having zeal without knowledge and being hasty and missing the way, uh, they make unwise changes and they create a second problem without solving the first. So seek counsel when there is a change that needs to be made. Uh, Repent wisely. Change wisely if change is needed. Our responsibilities when we are rebuked or given reproof will depend upon, to a great degree, the type of reproof, the type of rebuke that is given to us. And there are three general possibilities. You work through, think through the options, and you really are left with basically three And what are they? One would be the admonition is truthful or accurate in content. They've spoken the truth. It is wisely given. It is properly given. It is correctly given. It is given, finally, with proper motivation. If that's the case, if everything checks out, you listen you comply, make the appropriate changes. Secondly, the second general possibility, if that admonition is unwisely given, could have been given a little bit more graciously, a little bit more appropriately, 
But then you look at the content. Is the content accurate? Is it truthful? Is the content correct? If so, then let me encourage you to look past the relative lack of wisdom. There may even be uh, an improper motive in there somewhere. But if it's unwise, look past the lack of wisdom. Consider it. Comply as needed to pursue wisdom in your own life. Third, if it is inaccurate or untrue in content, if it is improperly or unwisely given, and if it is given with an evident ungodly motive, how do you respond? Put another way, uh, what if it's even slanderous, malicious, or unfair? What if it's a bum rap? Any of you ever been on the receiving end of a bum rap? I have. I know that it's difficult. I know that it's challenging. But the scripture calls us to act wisely even in that kind of a situation. Now, what is that wisdom? What is that response going to look like? If it is slanderous, malicious, and unfair, and this is essentially on a personal level at this point in my discussion, uh, what do you do? First thing that you do, you avoid public response. Try to avoid getting into a shouting match. Try to avoid getting into a quarrel. Step back, ponder it, listen, hold it for a while. Our tendency when we are slanderously attacked is to respond quickly and verbally and to make a problem worse when God will allow it often to get better if we keep silent. Keep silent. The second thing to do is profit from it. Make something good come out of it. One of the greatest uh, theologians in American history and the history of the church, a man by the name of Jonathan Edwards, uh, writes a sermon, essay, on Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and know my heart. He titles it, A Christian's Cautions, and he points out that when we are falsely accused, we can make something good come out of that by making sure that the allegation made against us is not going to be true in the future. You may not be able to finally decide if what was said about you really is true or false. And it may be that you're wasting time spending too much time pondering that or thinking about it. But you can make something good come out of it in the future by looking at your life and by taking pains to make sure that it is not going to be accurate or true of you in the future. Don't waste time too much looking at yourself when it can't be quickly ascertained if there is truth there. Make sure that it is not going to be true in the future. At this point, as you see in front of you, I've cited uh, supplemental sources, a Christian's cautions. You can find it on the Internet. If you have any difficulty in locating it, let me know or let Rodney know, and we'll make sure 
that you have it and have it quickly. A second source to recommend, and this was written approximately 300 years ago, and one of the men who is here today, just about a year ago, uh, translated it from the English that was used at that time and put it into a modern vernacular. Uh, and that is titled, The Right Way to Shake Off a Viper. The title is drawn from Acts, where Paul reaches down into the firewood and he comes up with a poisonous snake on his arm. The scripture tells us that he shook it off. Well, Mather uses that title to point out or to give a, a beginning to how do we handle it when we have been slandered, when we have been defamed. And he says the same two basic things that I've mentioned already. Avoid a verbal public response. Turn it over to God. Let him deal with it. But consider it and profit from it by making sure that it will not be true in the future. Uh, One of the great lines in there that he quotes... um, Ignatius is on his way uh, to being executed in Rome. He sends a letter to his uh, disciple, a man who was also later executed, a man by the name of Polycarp. And he says, when you are slandered like this, stand firm as a beaten anvil. If you've ever seen a blacksmith shop, that anvil gets hit, it gets hit, it gets hit, and hit again and yet it stands firm, immovable. That is the way that we sometimes need to be in response to slanderous allegations. Stand firm as a beaten anvil. Another source that's up there, and this was just brought to my attention last night, or this last week, I should say. I had the opportunity to look at it last night, and that would be Pastors and Their Critics. A recent book that uh, was written by Joel Beakey and Nick Thompson has some tremendous content in there. Uh, My son Stephen brought this to my attention just this last week. I would strongly recommend it. I have not read the whole thing, uh, but one particular chapter has been extremely helpful. Avoid public response. Quiet. Consider it and profit from it by making sure that it is not true in the future. Now, how do we apply that within the church when the rebuke or reproof is to the church and it is coming from someone slanderous, usually outside the church? Some of you may recall that uh, one such rebuke uh, came uh, just the day before Shepherd's Conference in 2022. And that source, who we consider much less uh, than credible, uh, has put out some more rebukes of some of our people here at Grace Church, including our senior pastor. We have been living that out. We've been dealing with that for the last 11 months. Generally, avoid public response other than when necessary. When I uh, ran this uh, text by or this topic by Irv the other evening, Irv wrote back, silence can sometimes be very powerful. 
So I put it in there, I reduced it, the phrase to the power of silence. Luke 23, 9, Jesus is in front of Herod. Herod was hardened in his disbelief. Uh, He was hardened in his mind. A vicious man, an evil man. The text tells us Christ did not answer him a word. It was a silence, a silence of judgment. And sometimes when we are silent, it will convey that judgment, that final judgment of God. Now this next quote, any of you that uh, find yourself on social media, uh, those of you that are on Twitter will react to a statement that my wife made this morning. Uh, She said, Twitter is an, and get this, unsanctified cesspool of misinformation. (laughs) So you can write it down, I'll say it again, an unsanctified cesspool of misinformation. If you find yourself letting your blood pressure soar while you look on Twitter, um, consider this paragraph from Charles Spurgeon, and you may want to take a picture of it if you have your cell phone with you. To all honest and just remarks, we are bound to give due measure of heed. But to the bitter verdict of prejudice, the frivolous fault-finding of men of fashion, you like that alliteration? The stupid utterances of the ignorant and the fierce denunciations of opponents, we may safely turn a deaf ear. Be aware of them, but ignore them. It sounds like if we didn't know that he had died and gone to glory more than a century ago, we would think that he's been looking at social media over the last few weeks. Uh, Beaky writes, sometimes the best response to criticism is silence. Our wordlessness can speak volumes often more than our words. Silence is not a failure to respond, but a particular way of responding to criticism. In certain situations, it is the most appropriate way to respond. This is especially the case when facing destructive criticism. I couldn't get all of this into the slide, but uh, he goes on to say, slander of this sort is self-destructive. Thus, the best way to promote the truth is to leave the lie alone to kill itself. The best way to promote the truth is often to leave the lie alone to kill itself. Now, uh, how do we apply that within the church? Again, the same topic. There may come a time. There may come a time when there is a need for careful, precise, and limited public response. Uh, You may or may not be aware, but the church issued a response to a newspaper, not a newspaper, a magazine article that had dropped a week ago last Thursday. The response is very succinct and to the point, we may eventually find ourselves needing to provide additional information to the outside. We are definitely willing to provide more information internally. The larger Westminster Catechism, and Beaky points this out at question 144, tells us 
living out the ninth commandment that we at times have to speak to promote the truth, to make sure that the gospel is not obscured, to maintain the reputation of those entrusted with that gospel. Again, we improve internally. We look at what's going on within the church. We want to make sure that if there is an allegation of fault, it is not going to be true in the future. Again, we come back, examine the accuracy and the truthfulness of the charge, if any. Examine the way in which the rebuke was given. Examine the evident motivations. If you listen carefully to Josiah Grauman's sermon this morning, uh, you can get the flavor of the discussion of this that took place Thursday evening in this very room uh, when the elders were gathering and considering some of the allegations that have been recently published. And I will not dignify them by speaking of the uh, name of the source uh, or the particular document in question. You probably know about it. But these three questions, instinctively, the elders found ourselves discussing as we considered what is going on here. Living out what we're called to do in uh, question 144 of the larger Westminster Catechism, I can state categorically that what Brad told you last week was accurate. The allegations made against he and Rodney were untrue. I can also state categorically that the criticism and allegations directed against Dr. MacArthur are totally untrue. I can state categorically that the allegations uh, directed to the elders, the rest of the elders, are incorrect. Many of the elders, and I cannot go into much detail at this point in time, uh, come from families. Some of the elders, let me just state, I know because I am one of them, where there has been domestic violence. We are repulsed at any allegation that Grace Church would ever tolerate that. I never knew my paternal grandparents. My paternal grandfather was a wife beater. He abused his children. My dad demonstrated the truth of the gospel, and he broke that cycle. We are repulsed at any allegation that we would ever tolerate that at Grace Church. Secondly, there is no toleration in all of Scripture for the mere idea that somehow if you have a problem with someone else in the church, you would take it to a public news media. What? That in and of itself demonstrates, as Josiah was pointing out with regards to Moses this morning, a dissatisfaction with the Scripture with the word of God that has been revealed to us as to how problems are to be resolved. That in of itself will demonstrate at least one motivation behind uh, actions that may well have taken place. One possible motivation behind what has occurred.
We improve internally. We examine the accuracy and truthfulness of the charges. We examine the way in which the rebuke was given. And we examine the motivations. Internally, within the church, we are patient when wronged. There's the pastoral epistles again, 2 Timothy 2, 24, 26. The Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged, with gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition, and perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth, and may come, they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do as well. We need to pray for people who bring false accusations against the people of God. This tells us what may be taking place. We need to teach truth and train in the discernment of error, Hebrews 5.14. Solid food is for the mature who, because of practice, have their senses trained. It comes with practice to discern good and evil. We teach, we are teaching, we are realizing the importance of of training our people to be more discerning. We've realized we've been dealing with this for something like 11 months. Many of our people have been dealing with it for about a week and a half. Okay? You need to have the material provided to you so that you can develop and exercise and implement discernment. Internally within the church, we correct and warn as needed for the sake of the gospel and the health of the church. There are two illustrations in the New Testament. Uh, You may have overlooked them. Uh, The first that I would mention is a man by the name of Diotrephes. Third John chapter, well, there's only one chapter. Third John... (laughs) 3 John verse 9, he says, I write something to the church. I wrote something to the church. But Diotrephes, who loves to be first, in the King James it says he loves the preeminence. He wants to be the big shot, number one. Does not accept what we say. Can you imagine a guy having so much ego that he does not accept what the disciple whom Jesus loved writes to him later on, a witness of the glory of Christ. This guy is so full of himself, he won't even accept what he writes. But it's not just that. John writes, for this reason, if I will come, if I come, I will call attention to his deeds, which he does. There again, you have the conduct, and you also have the words, demonstrating the heart. Unjustly accusing us with wicked words, he is slandering the apostle whom Jesus loved. He goes on to say, not satisfied with that, he himself does not receive the brethren. He hinders true evangelism. Then he goes on to say, and he forbids those who desire to do so and puts them out of the church. He co-ops and corrupts the process of church discipline. He twists it so that it's not for the purification of the church and the glory of Christ, but instead he uses it to promote his own preeminence within the church. But wait, as it says in the infomercials, there's more. (laughs) 
taking you back to the pastoral epistles. Alexander the coppersmith. Alexander the coppersmith. It's a challenging, somewhat mysterious passage near the end of 2 Timothy. Paul knows that he is near the executioner's block. He's writing to Timothy, and he says, Timothy, Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. And when you read what Paul endured, this is a guy that was stoned, left for dead. This is a guy that was criticized, defamed himself. But he singles out this one guy. He says, Timothy, Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. But Timothy, be on guard yourself against him, for he vigorously opposed our teaching. When he says, Timothy, be on guard, he is using a present tense, continually be on guard. And this is not something he says, Timothy, you want to do if you feel like it, if you wake up and you don't have anything else to do. This is an imperative. This is something you definitely need to be doing. He vigorously, he's opposed our teaching. Now, who is this Alexander? Um, There are other references to, two other references to Alexander's in the New Testament. In Acts 19, you read of an individual who uh, attempts to speak to the church, to the crowd, the rioting crowd in Ephesus, and he's unsuccessful. We're not sure if this is the same one or not. Uh, and then again in 1 Timothy 1.20, we read of an Alexander who had made shipwreck of the faith, who had left the faith. He, along with two other men, Hymenaeus and Philetus, uh, are singled out in the pastoral epistles uh, as men who were serious problems. No less than R.C. Sproul in his Reformation Study Bible and Alexander Strauch in his study on Acts 20 link those three men with men who were elders in the church in Ephesus and who Paul warns without knowing who it's going to be, he senses what's going to happen, and he says, from within your own number, within the elders of the church of Ephesus, some will arise and will pervert the truth. Was this Alexander one of those? We can't say for sure. Thomas Manton, probably the greatest Puritan commentator on the book of James, says that he is the same individual in all three all three verses. What did he do to vigorously oppose and to uh, cause Paul much trouble? Chrysostom seems to indicate that he may well have come to testify against Paul, and you get the sense that what he's talking about is Paul's trial before Nero. Timothy, be on your guard against Alexander coppersmith. If you aspire to leadership within the church, 
be aware of that potential possibility. Okay? There are times when all hell, figuratively and literally, will break loose against the church. Be ready with the full armor of God to withstand that. In the church, we warn against the danger of speaking slanderous rebukes of others. Well, what's dangerous about a slanderous rebuke of others? Thomas Manton, again, in his commentary on the book of James, points out that when we speak slanderously of another believer, we are speaking against the image of God that has been implanted in that individual. And it is a very dangerous thing to do. In addition to that, we are also speaking against the law of God, speaking against the word of God. James 4.11 points out, when you speak slanderously against another individual, another believer, you are in essence, and sometimes it takes a while to see how it connects, but it will. You are speaking slanderously against an individual, but you are defaming and claiming that the word of God is insufficient. One final quote there. Uh, one of the great Puritans, a man by the name of Richard Baxter in his book, The Directory, he says, see to your duties and leave your reputation to God. You can get so caught up in worrying about and responding to public defamation that you lose sight of the importance of continuing with your duties. There are more people to counsel. There are more services in which we need to proclaim the word of God. There is more shepherding that needs to be done. We cannot allow ourselves to focus unduly and too much on responding to false allegations made against us. See to our duties. We see to our duties. We leave our reputations to God. Okay? We may be slandered in this life, but we will be vindicated in the next. Isaiah 54, 17, the vindication of the servants of God will come from God himself. Okay? Never lose sight of that. Never let it be too much of a source of concern in your own life. Now, moving back to the overall topic, there is a promise of blessing if we respond to reproof, easy for me to say, reproof and rebuke in the proper way, the right response to them is referred to as the way of life. It leads to wisdom. It leads to understanding. And it will eventually lead to honor. The opposite is also true. If we do not listen to reproof, tragedy may follow. Two verses are up there. Proverbs 29.1, a man who hardens his neck after much reproof will suddenly be broken beyond remedy. I did not write this. But over the course of years, you will see it lived out. A man who hardens his neck after much reproof. And by the way, Uh, I don't think it's too far of a reach to say a woman who hardens her neck after much reproof will suddenly be broken beyond remedy. God's spirit will not always strive with men or women. 
And sometimes there will be a day of reckoning. Seek wisdom. Pray that those who listen to you will act in a wise manner. Grievous punishment is for him who forsakes the way, but he who hates reproof will die. I don't know how much more clear we can be. That's Proverbs 15.10. Be thick-skinned toward men, be thin-skinned towards God. Be open to have him search your heart. Be open to confession. Be open to repentance. Be open to wise and proper change. Now, what do we do with this? What are the takeaways? First, we always seek the wisdom of God. Proverbs makes it very clear that one of the overriding passions in the life of a believer is a passionate commitment to the overall process of seeking the wisdom of God. And when you do that, when you ask for patience and God gives you life circumstances that will develop that patience, be careful of what you ask for, you might get it. But when you ask for wisdom, don't be dismayed, don't rebel, don't get frustrated and react or resist when he provides it to you through rebuke or reproof. Sometimes even rebuke or reproof that is unfair, slanderous, and inappropriate. Okay? Nothing will happen in your life, in our lives, that God has not allowed. We are committed to the sovereignty of God. Listen carefully. And evaluate it wisely. We've been talking about that this morning. Act and speak as needed. And humbly trust God throughout the process. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you that you provide wisdom. We thank you that your word is our method book as well as our message book. We thank you, Lord, that you love us, that you care for us, that you will build your church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Father, I pray for great wisdom for each person who is here. I pray for peace of mind. I pray for strength of character. Father, I pray that the time that we have spent today studying your word, pondering your truth, will bear fruit in the lives of each person in the life of each person here for now for this year and for decades to come to the glory of Christ and to the edification of your church we ask nothing more we seek nothing less forgive us of our shortcomings in the communication and comprehension of this we pray that you will take what we have done and use it to your glory amen